this man named Ben bravely walks up to me and says, hey, Michael, I don't want you to take this as judgment at all, but I just had to reach out and say something. I once struggled a lot like you might be struggling, and someone talked to me. And he holds up this little flash drive. He said, there's a bunch of audio content here. And he hands me his card and he says, give me a call when you have questions. And that was a game changer for me because I started exploring that, oh my gosh, there are different ways to think, different ways to live, different ways to view the world. That old clip came from my interview with Michael Jaquiff. Dude, this was a good conversation. It was also deep. So my last podcast episode was about some of my fight, continuing fight against pornography and all that. This, even though this conversation was back in May, is kind of the perfect next episode. And I'm kind of mind blown by that. We talked a little bit about that and just overall knowing who you are and your identity. And so it does kind of go a little deeper into like religious territory than in a normal episode. It's just more a business kind of podcast, but it is also my podcast. So Michael's a really good guy. He is a Catholic, and I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, so there's a little bit of a clash there, but I'm glad we were able to just talk and have a really good talk about this. It's like we need to be able to do this. If we're not able to do this, then we're clearly not going to get anywhere as a society, but if we're able to have these like civil conversations and talk and not have it dissolve into this, like, you're wrong, you're wrong, or whatever, and just completely tuning the other out, I think there's a lot of cause for celebration and hope with that. But with that little thought out of the way. Also, the audio is not that great. <laughs> we need to just get into recording in a studio just on both ends. It wasn't that great. I need to buy a better mic. There's other things. I think my mic's getting a little old. So that that's that. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode. <laughs> and just remember the best is yet to come. Even if you don't even listen to the episode, just remember the best is yet to come. Welcome to Yield Today with Down Canlan. I'm here with Michael Jaquiff. He is a host of a podcast helping out young men in our world today, just doing tons of good stuff, life coach, and just excited to have him on the show. Thank you for coming, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to talk to you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's good to have you here. Tell me, why is it so important that we're able to reorient ourselves when we make little mistakes? Why is it so important that we have some kind of focus, whether it's God, whether it's something we want to become? Why is it so important we have that? I think what we need to understand is as a human being, we have momentum and it's even generational momentum. Statistics and the study of the culture tells us that 90% of people will stay within 10% of the income bracket of their parents. And income bracket's an easy thing to memorize or to study, right? Because it's a number. But I think that's true beyond it in terms of the quality of your marriage, the quality of your friendship. We tend to, unless there's a really intentional effort to change this, just drift into the thing we've always seen, things we've always known. This is how my parents' marriage went. This is how my dad made money. This is how they raised the kids. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm not trying to speak poorly of anyone's parents, but there's always room to get better. And if you want something better, if you want to say, hey, I did something with my life, my life mattered, I made a difference, then you can't drift there. And that focus is essential because the world is ready to keep feeding you comforts unless you are really intentional about choosing something else. I really like where this is going already, just about the generational momentum. That's a good good thought. I think it's very true. I mean, we are very comfortable where we're at with, with different things. Like if something was talked about a certain way, then we're more likely to pass that on unless there is some real intentional 
things. Why is it important that we don't like let those comforts dictate how we live our lives? I think it's really easy to to let those things take control and write, you know, our life script for us. Why is it important we don't let that happen? Uh, The short answer is because nothing that matters is ever found in comfort. Carl Jung would say that that which you need most will be found where you least want to look, or said differently, will be the most uncomfortable place to go. A common mantra in the life coaching industry is that if your business, your success, your life, your goal, your dream is built on the currency of discomfort. And if you're willing to go into the realm of discomfort to try something new that maybe doesn't feel super great at first, like if you want to become an Olympic skating person, you've got to go out in the cold. You can't you know, just sit there where it's comfortable and warm. And whatever your dream is, and I've never yet met a human being who doesn't have a dream somewhere down. A lot of us, we've been beaten so often because we, we stick our head out, we try for the dream, it doesn't go, oh, it hurts. And then we cringe, we pull back. And you do that enough times, and it sounds like this, nah, I don't have dreams. I, you know, I tried that once. It didn't work out for me. And that's such a common response I hear from people, especially today, where they don't, they don't give themselves permission to dream. And if you don't have a clear and vibrant dream, then why would you risk going out in the discomforts? But I can guarantee you this. No one ever on their deathbed looked back and said, you know, I led a really comfortable life. And that was awesome. It was so comfortable. I never risked anything, never accomplished anything of merit. But boy, was I comfortable. That's just not how it goes. Yeah, we all want to have those superstar moments. Even if we're not like the superstar ourselves, we love to have those like highlight, beautiful moments to look back on, you know? And for me personally, Michael, a lot of those comforting moments generally, unless I'm like with somebody else and like enjoying their company as well, I don't look very fondly back on those comfort moments. Like, I don't know, you just have to be very careful with those, how you see them and, and then how you enjoy them. Absolutely. So let's go into like your overall journey thus far. How has that like grown? How's your love for family increased? How has your just overall focus uh, developed from when you were younger? I know that's a, that's a deep question. We can go all over with that, but. Oh, it is. But, but I think it's a great question because I think it sets the stage so well to bring these concepts together. And I started talking about generational momentum. Uh, let me set the stage. I was born and raised in this relatively poor, tiny family in northern Michigan. My father was abusive in most every way that a father can be abusive. It was a pretty horrible environment. And when I was in sixth grade, he went to jail for 10 years because certain types of his abuse were discovered. And this was, I'm saying it was a pretty lousy start here. And my mother, bless her, she tried her best, but she wasn't the world's best single mother either. And so there were still challenges going on there. And needless to say, I came out of this home with a lot of emotional baggage, right? Except for like so many people, I didn't see it. I didn't know it was there. And so if nothing else had happened, I can guarantee you it would have been just a repeat. And then I would have just replayed everything that happened when I grew up with because I just didn't see it. And for me, the first big change came. So I came out of the house as an atheist and I encountered the Lord. And that was the first thing that kind of knocked my world a little bit and said, hey, wait a second here, Michael, maybe there's something more than just, you know, the cold, hard numbers you're trying to fight for. Because that's how I came out. I came out of the household as a fighter. I'm like, I'm not going to be this way. I'm going to claw my way into something else. I worked my way through a PhD in chemistry. I'm like, I'm doing this thing. And then I got married and suddenly discovered that all that stuff I thought I left behind was still present. And I hadn't solved any of it. It was all right there. And it was all coming out now in my marriage with my children as we started having children. I'm at church one day. I want to set the stage, okay? So 
I'm a strong type A personality. I tend to sometimes get a little bit of a temper problem. And so I'm at church and my one-year-old is throwing this tantrum, a tantrum of all tantrums, right? For those of you who have a one-year-old, you can envision this. And I was visibly becoming angry. Like, I'm not abusing the child, but I'm angry. And I'm set. I'm like kind of holding her more tight than I should. Like, you know, just, just clearly not in 100% control of myself. And the next Sunday, this man named Ben bravely walks up to me and says, Hey, Michael, I don't want you to take this as judgment at all, but I just had to reach out and say something. I once struggled a lot like you might be struggling, and someone talked to me. And he holds up this little flash drive. He said, there's a bunch of audio content here. And he hands me his card and he says, give me a call when you have questions. And that was a game changer for me because I started exploring that, oh my gosh, there are different ways to think, different ways to live, different ways to view the world. And it was hard because I had, at this point, 25 years of training. This is how you do life, right? And then, so as I'm going through this and I'm recognizing I don't like what I'm becoming, but to make these changes was incredibly uncomfortable. And this is where I tie that discomfort piece back in because I had to look back and I had to see the parts of my father that I hated that lived in me. Furthermore, I had to learn to forgive him. And if you really want to have your faith in our Lord tested, try forgiving someone who's really, really hurt you. Like that is one of the hardest things we can do. And the word comfort doesn't appear anywhere in that entire instruction manual, if you know what I mean. And so it's been a journey. It's been a long journey for me. And, and by the grace of God, here I am, you know, another 10, 15 years after this, this after Ben bravely ventured into my life at, at some amount of risk himself. Like I could have called him a lousy name and made something dramatic and I didn't. But I look at what I've been able to achieve because I was willing to embrace discomfort. And that is, it, it's just a game changer. Yeah, I think letting yourself feel those feelings is something that doesn't get preached enough. Like it's okay to feel those feelings and then you can channel those in a different route. Like you don't have to channel it down the same river that we've been doing all this. We can we can do all kinds of stuff with this. We can use this very productively. We can do a lot with that. I think that's just beautiful and just how you're able to, you know, turn that darkness into you know, turn to the Lord and he always sees things with infinite light and, and perspective, you know, how he was able to help you and work through that wonderful brother to, to kind of help you out, you know, and it's something that comes to mind for me is we're not going to get more help than we're ready for. Sometimes, you know, we have to show that we're ready and that we're Amen. working forward to it. But once we start taking that action, like in everything, we start really showing that desire, then there's really nothing that God can't do if we don't, if we have that kind of desire to like be better and to keep trying. I mean, that's where all of the biggest adventurers and things start with. A lot of it really just is that desire. I want to go back to something you just said, which was feeling your feelings. And this is so critical, especially as a guy. Like to those two ladies listening in a holy way, I'm a little jealous of the women's ability to actually feel their feelings in a guilt-free way. Like that's an awesome thing that most of us men don't have. And here's how the male brain tends to process feelings. Whoa, big feeling. Can't have that. It could either be that's not Christian or it could be that's not right, whatever. We take that big feeling and we shove it down the deepest hole in our brains that we know access to. And we shove it down there. And as it tries to resurface, we stomp on it. And we think, ha, I have solved this feeling. This is what a man does. We solve our feelings by shoving them down. And wouldn't you know it, 
little pieces seem to creep back up into all the different parts of our lives. You know, we shove down a feeling with our spouse, it surfaces with our kids. We shove down a feeling at work, it surfaces somewhere else. Like this is, feelings aren't meant to be shoved down. Feelings are guideposts that God gives us to say, hey, hello, something's going on. And the right response to a feeling is to actually allow ourselves to feel it. I use the analogy of food. If you took some food, right, and you swallowed your food and you put a case around it and just kind of, you know, a little plastic case that wasn't digestible and let it sit there, it's just going to rot. That case is eventually going to crack and leak. And it's the nastiest bit of infection of all time is going to seep out into your body. But we never do that, of course. We can't with food. With food, we digest it. It takes about 24 hours between, on average, when you eat something and it's completely done and through. All right. The good news is, Feelings are a whole lot faster than that. Feelings, and a really intense feeling, just, just, oh, all the injustice. Maybe you happen to watch something on politics these days. I don't care what side you're on. It, it can cause feelings. 90 seconds is really an upper limit for a strong feeling. You should just simply say, I am feeling angry. I am feeling upset. I'm feeling jealous. I'm feeling envious. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling hurt. Just to sit there and say, hey, I am feeling this. And it, it's okay to feel it. And you process it, you digest that emotion. And now you can surface and be like, okay, I felt that feeling. Maybe here's why. If you have enough awareness, here's why. But what do I want to do now? Versus the avoiding it, and then it just rots inside. I really love that analogy. We love analogies here. So you're already, you know, up there with with sharing an analogy up like that. I just love the thought of the need to digest. How many times do we start trying to, and we immediately spit it out? or we gag on right. it, or whatever. We we don't want that. I'll take everything else except that. You know, we want to take the feelings out. I mean, that's something I've certainly struggled with. And a lot of it is to hide it from other people because they want. I want them to see me as a very well put together, everything's working for me person. And I'm able to put up that front sometimes. Then there's other times where I just like by myself and then I feel like the imposter, you know? You just have to have a way to to funnel those feelings, you know, really well and to talk, you know, that's something I made a podcast episode recently and talked about the need to create, to connect and to recreate. So enjoy the people's creations to create and also to connect with others. And the connecting with others is the one that I've generally struggled the most with, at least recently, you know, I, I'm pretty good about just writing a poem about something, but it gets to a point where like, uh, I should probably just talk to somebody about this. That'd probably help. But you know, when we are willing to do that, then we can have we can have this growth that we would have never ever expected. And I've seen this with my prayers too. Sometimes like I'm just gonna tell God exactly what I'm feeling and mince nothing. And it's like that's exactly what he wants. Like, tell me everything. Like he can take it. So let me let me hit off two things you just said that I think are so powerful. First, let's talk about this idea that I'm afraid to share my feelings with other people. Let me pause and say it's probably appropriate that you don't go out sharing your deepest, most intimate feelings with every single person out there, including some random stranger you just met. But with those with whom you are closer, we have to understand and slow down what's going on. Your brain has dedicated a tremendous amount of processing power to the central part of your vision, specifically to analyze other human faces. When I'm talking to you, even through Zoom right now, or, or whatever the digital is, it's more than half of our communication is actually taking place just by what my eyes interpret from your face, all right? And the reality is that I will pick up on cues subconsciously that are happening so fast that you can't fool me, really. Like, you can 
pretend, oh, I'm put together. I don't have bad feelings. And maybe for the sake of a social contract, I might verbally accept that. But my brain knows otherwise. My brain knows. So what does my brain see? My brain, my subconscious sees deception. And what do we not do for someone who's deceiving us? We don't trust them. If we don't trust them, we don't get close to them. And so no wonder people this day and age struggle with having close, meaningful, powerful relationships because we're sending these signals that say, you can't trust me. You can't trust me. I won't show you. And again, not everybody. But those with whom you want to be close, there is a tremendous power of revealing, hey, look, I'm really hurting. This thing happened in my life, and I'm really scared what it means for my future, and I don't know what's going to happen in my life, and I'm not all put together, and I don't expect you to solve that, but I just needed to share that with somebody because it's eating me up alive. And now, all of a sudden, your verbals that I'm receiving in my brain and all of your body language all align, and now my natural, without even me thinking about it, response is going to be to align to you, to connect, and to start opening up as well. And that's the sort of connection relationship that is what humanity is made for. That's what God formed us to have. Like that's the sort of relationship that God the Father has with God the Son. And like there's this depth, an exchange of identity. And in, in essence, like this is what marriage is supposed to be, but it's not limited to marriage. Like the ancients talk about how philia, love of one man, not in a sexual way, just like friendship, love of one man with another can be incredibly close because it enables this intimate sharing of who I am. And what my struggles are. And this culminates, or at least one of the most strongest examples, is in the father-son connection. And I, I, I think I would not be exaggerating to say that the father wounds are almost everywhere today. Like I've met one gentleman since I've started doing this job who did not have a massive father wound waiting. And I think the most dangerous part of the father wounds today is we underestimate or perhaps just don't want to admit how important a father is to our own identity. Uh, one of the great uh, Catholic speakers that I love, he says that th there's three steps to understanding this whole process. There's relationship, there's identity, and then there's a mission. And if you don't have those first two, you cannot have an effective mission. And so your relationship with your earthly father, with your heavenly father, forms your identity. And like, this is not something that's easy to understate because, or easy to overstate. Like the power that a father has to say to a son, you are a man. This is what a man is. This is what you should aspire to be. This is how a man lives, how he breathes, how he treats his wife, his kids. All of this is transmitted on a totally deep subconscious level that, to be honest, most of us don't even want to think about. And so we avoid this father wound because to be willing to go into the father wound is to risk recognizing our own weakness and dependency we have on that father. But I will tell you that if you're willing to go there, whether your father is the world's best dad or the world's worst, I don't care. When you acknowledge that, you open the door for healing in a very, very powerful way. Yeah, my dad is definitely one of my heroes. He has always been just very applauding of my efforts and very quick to you know affirm me and to lift me up and just to do different things that show that he you know knows what's best for me and stuff and and cares about me, you know. And that's definitely helped me a lot with my relationship with God too, is believing and knowing that he's my eternal father, you know, it definitely puts things into perspective, but you know, it's just, sometimes it is like we let ourselves kind of going back to the identity piece. We let ourselves kind of put a conditional on ourselves, even if it's not even there, sort of like the prodigal son when he's like, you know, I've sinned against heaven before the, I'm no more worthy to be called by thy son. It's like, he's going to be a son no matter what. But sometimes I know for me, I'll be like, I want to hit a certain level or a certain thing 
to feel that otherwise I'm not worthy of it. And that's something I put on myself sometimes. And it's, it's completely on, on everything, like an untruthful, un, unheard of, you know, nothing could ever change how God feels about us. That's so true, but it's so hard to work past. With my work with people, I oftentimes make this really important differentiation. We live in two places in our body at the same time. We live up in our heads, very intellectual. We understand what the teachings of the faith are, and we live in our heart. And the heart doesn't always make sense. And the heart will cling to truths that we our head knows aren't right. But it's so hard to let go of those truths because they just, to use the lack of a better word, feel so true and you can't just let it go. And being willing to take sympathy and compassion for the inner child that lives in our heart that's clinging to this truth, even though our head knows it's not right, the heart still clings to it, is a very powerful part of integration, coming to accept who I am. I need to make a quick note too that understand father wounds aren't limited to those who had bad dads. My, my dad made a lot of epic mistakes, okay? And so my father wounds are easy to see. However, you can equally as much have father wounds from dads who look awesome. It could be as little as, there's one of my clients I'm thinking of who had a great dad, super productive, total temperament mismatch, totally different personality, right? And so perpetually through his life, he kept saying that my dad is this type A personality. I'm a type B personality. I'm not a man. I'm not good enough. I don't stand up and fight for things the way my dad does. And he's an awesome dad. But that father wound is still there because there's the disconnect, this this loss of identity that I'm not good enough, I'm not a man, I'm not worthy because I don't measure up to my awesome dad. And so that father wound can go either way. Yeah, I completely agree. There's, uh, you know, I think of like different basketball players and they want their kids to be basketball players or they want their whatever. But, you know, one of the most selfless things I think you can do, and I'm not a dad, but someday I will be, is to let their your kid do what they want to do. And for me, that's like, I have these goals and these dreams and things and I'm going to go after them, even if they're not like completely in line with some things that maybe somebody else wanted me to do. I know I'm going to be loved regardless for it. But I think that's just really hard is to let go of those expectations we have for for kids and just to let them grow. And that's that's hard for God to do. That's hard for any of the earthly dads out there to do. And I applaud them. But once we are willing to do that, I think it really does help build that bond of, you know, the father-son relationship, knowing you can talk to them. And it's not based on any any other identity besides just the father-son relationship. I want to give you a cute, another cute little analogy here for mothers and fathers. And for those of you who are fathers, this may make sense. And for those of you who one day hope to be fathers, write this down at the back of your brain. Mothers naturally love their children in the moment. They want to see their children happy in the moment. Uh, the kid wants an extra bowl of ice cream. Mom's like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. Whatever. Mothers naturally live and love in the now. Fathers, by contrast, live, the live and love the future version of the child. And this is very sometimes hard in a marriage because a father will see a behavior now. And here's how his thought goes. He says, oh, I see that you're not being kind to your brother. If I don't fix this, the you of the future will not have any friends, will not be able to keep a job down, will not be able to get married, will not be able to achieve anything that matters in life. So we got to fix it now because you can't wait. And I'm loving that future you. I want the best for you in the future. 
And so we're going to fix it now. And so as a result, natural, and this is, this is obviously gross generalization. There aren't exceptions, but there's a tendency in the beneath this that's true. So that's what you naturally see a father tend to be like more, no, no, we fix this here. This behavior is not going to work. And it can seem to a son or daughter so powerfully as a rejection is not good enough. I was never good enough for my dad. He couldn't say kind things about me. He was always stuck in the future about me. He always was never good enough. And it's very, very hard and almost impossible as a child, but it's hard later on as an adult to look back and see those same stories rewritten, rewritten through that vision that my dad loved future me so much. Now, a really good father who's really on top of it, who's got a lot of self-awareness, will circle back and identify not only the natural strengths of the child where they're succeeding, but also the, the ways in which the child is naturally called temperament, called skill set, strengths finder, like all these different dimensions to who we are that are different from the dads are what makes that young man into a man. And that affirmation can be incredibly powerful. Yeah, just being able to take the mistake and, and just remember that it's not, it doesn't define them. That's really interesting, though, the whole future and present thing. I could definitely see where that where that's coming from. So let's say that some one of the listeners, you know, has had a really rough day. Maybe they are trying to quit smoking and they smoked or, or something like that. What is your like advice or, or perspective you'd share with with them? Somebody who's feeling very broken right now because of sin or, or just something that they didn't want to do and now they've they've done it and they feel wanting to go down that rabbit hole of emotion. Yeah, so I want to talk about something I call the shame cycle. And the shame cycle is a very powerful player in almost any excessive behavior, whether it's beating yourself up, overeating, pornography, alcohol, all these. Here's how it goes. We'll do something that we think is bad. We'll look at ourselves and say, oh, you did that thing again, didn't you? You must be the most despicable, horrible human being of all time, or words to that effect. And this is all happening entirely in our own heads. And then we'll feel so bad because like if someone else said that to us, we'd be crushed that we immediately turn and go right back to the same thing that soothes us that we used initially. We'll do that thing again. And the shame cycle goes a level deeper. Oh my gosh, you did it again. You really are the most horrible person of all time. And we cycle again. And the shame cycle will just spiral and will just rip people down into horrible, horrible places. And the first thing, whenever you're struggling with something, addictions to anything, um, not being able to achieve what you think you should be able to achieve, the first thing is to become very, very aware of what's happening in your own head. Now, if you are of the Christian faith, I want to invite you to a very special, powerful access that you have, which is to invite our Lord Jesus into that conversation. And literally imagine there's two people standing inside your head. One of them's yelling at the other one about how horrible they are. And then bring Jesus into that conversation. Have him stand there. And watch his face. And if you really watch, I will challenge you to see anything other than tears pouring down his eyes as he watches one of his beloved children being ripped apart verbally this way. And it doesn't matter that it's you doing it to yourself. The damage is just as real. Like a lot of us speak to ourselves in our head using a tone and a language that if we did it publicly to somebody else would be ostracized and, and you know, we'd just be ripped apart for doing that. And perhaps rightly so, but we do it to ourselves and without something to interrupt that cycle, it is utterly toxic and almost impossible to escape out of these really, really dark places that we get into. So step number one is try to break the shame cycle, whether it's just 
bringing our Lord in, finding compassion for you. I guarantee you that whatever your destructive behavior is, there is a reason why you are doing it. Whatever this obnoxious behavior you have is, it's not like it came out of nowhere. It kept you safe from something. That something may not have been real, but something it kept you safe from. And because of that, your body and your brain learned this is what we do to stay safe. And you coming in, the second part of you, and just yelling and cursing at that first part isn't helpful at all. And so my challenge to you then is to say, hey, look, what would compassion look like? If you right now, as an adult, walked up to, let's say, a a young boy or if you're a woman, a young girl, who was struggling with the same thing, and you see them, they're so desperate to escape, and they're just so frustrated. Most of us, to this young child, would embrace them. We'd hug them. We'd say, it's okay. You get through this. You're still a good person. I believe in you. I value you. And my challenge to you is, What happens when you try to say that to yourself? And and this is a really hard exercise. Like, don't brush this thing aside. Like, this is not something you do lightly. Don't give yourself 30 seconds in between classes and try to pound this one out. This is something you do when you have some quality time. If you are of the Christian faith, go to church when the church is empty and just do it there. Like, it's really, really powerful to be in a holy place for this conversation. It invites the Lord in in a more tangible way. But then to say, what would it look like to have real compassion for yourself is if you were that young child you found as well. And I can guarantee you without anything else, the nature of your relationship with this undesirable behavior will radically transform. And it's not going to happen overnight. You've got, however old you are, probably a decade, if not more, years of practicing ripping yourself to shreds over this thing that you think is bad. But find that compassion. That doesn't excuse the behavior. Like This is such a subtle distinction. As a Christian, we can clearly understand that a certain behavior can be wrong while the person is still lovable. And that distinction is so powerful to say, whether it's um, maybe you're just drinking too much alcohol. Say, yeah, over drinking alcohol, that's not cool. But the little, little boy, the little girl who's trapped inside, doesn't know what else to do, still deserves a hug. Does that make sense? It does, you know, and, and for me, like I'll never drink alcohol, but I know even if I did, you know, like there would be obviously ramifications and, and stuff, but that the road's not blocked or anything like that. Like it, there's, it's just as lit up as it was before. It's just, I think it's really hard. Like you said, with the shame cycle, because with a lot of what these things do is they get our bodies and brains accustomed to such a high level of dopamine that, you know, a lot of times real life can't even keep up with or even hope to keep up with. And there's this illusion, there's this deception. I mean, that's what Satan does is he's the great deceiver, the great, you know, slanderer and, and everything like that. And it's interesting how you make a mistake like that and the thing that we were tempted to do now, Satan's like, wow, you can't, I can't believe you did that. It's like, well, you told me to do, you know, it's just this, it's this terrible, sad, pathetic thing, but that doesn't mean we're sad. doesn't mean we're pathetic. You know, I've had times where I have, you know, been up really late watching YouTube videos and it hasn't all been good stuff. And then I go to class and I don't know how I'm even still alive, but I am, you know, and I just keep moving on. And it's like, well, whatever I saw, good or bad, I mean, the best is yet ahead for me. And so you just have to trust that. But it is really tough in that moment to be compassionate with yourself, especially when you kind of do the dad thing, as you mentioned before, being like, oh, I need to stop this right now. And if I don't, then this is going to echo and re, you know, there's going to be all kinds of problems down the road. You know, something I've really recognized over the last month or so since I graduated, like 
God's in this with us for the long haul. Like when we have a really rough day or something, like he is, he's going to help us out, you know, and that things can be, we don't have to limit him at all. You know, there's going to be better days ahead. We don't have to limit him at all. I think we do that all the time. Like there's as much as I can do, this is all I can do. And this is as much as God can help me with this. And once I get to this level, he'll help me more. But for now, I just have to get to this level. And that's so wrong, but it's easy to to give into that, you know? I love that you brought up dopamine. And I, I, I would be remiss to not spend a few moments just chatting about that. And the funny thing about the dopaminergic system is that it's calibrated. And so when you hit it with a high, you know, high dosage load of dopamine for whatever your pleasure of distraction of source is, what it actually does is it forces the rest of your life out of that calibration range. And so all of a sudden, the rest of your life gets dim and gray and kind of loses its flavor and loses the meaning. And I've worked with many men addicted to pornography, and they will commonly get to the point where they can't even engage a real woman because there's not enough left of them to talk to a real woman with like in the natural healthy dynamic of man and woman as they're dating there's a sexual tension there's different energies and currents and if your dopamine systems are so overloaded from something else you don't even have that capability anymore but here's where that really comes home if you don't have a dream worth fighting for why does that even matter why do you, why do you care that you can't interact? You have no systems. And this is where as a young man yourself and every young man I encourage that I work with I say look Let's map out what you want to do with your life. I was working with a young man the other day, and I, my first question was, What's, what do you want? What's important to you? And I got the typical, I don't know. And 20 minutes later, he had mapped out, I'm going to do a, a slightly altered version of this. He wanted a 100-acre ranch with horses and hunting. He wanted to own his own business with this, uh, I forget what it was, some sort of like business thing. And he mapped it out. He wanted to get married, have three kids. He wanted to have these horses. Here's what their names would be. He really loved this part. And all this dream came together. And he had known for four weeks what the next step he should do towards his career was. And he hadn't done it. Because why? He didn't know what he was fighting for. And so when your dopamine levels are totally miscalibrated, that's when it comes time to really get crystal clear and say, this is why I'm going for this thing. This is what I want. This is the life I want, the dream I have. But I also need to caution you as a coach that that dream, not if, but will change as you get older. It's a first step. If you had told me 12 years ago that I was going to go from being a PhD high-level research chemist working for one of the premium uh, Intel semiconductor research sites that I was going to be doing a life coach. I'm like, no way, dude. That's insane. I would never do that. But as you go through life, God just, you know, sometimes subtly, sometimes not, steers you and said, here's a new dream. Here's a new dream. Here's a new dream. But the power of the dream isn't dependent upon us being perfect. The power of the dream is dependent upon us being clear and giving you motivation to push through the comfort, discomforts, push through those dopamine, dopamine readjustments and get through those things. Hey, what's up? This is Dallin. I really appreciate you listening to this podcast episode. It is the podcast listeners that keep this podcast going. Do me a quick favor and send this episode over to somebody that has been on your mind so far. We're all about designing little wins in our day and building up the people around us. So if there's somebody that has come to your mind, and I bet there has been at least one, send them this episode and maybe a little message of how it's helped you. And uh, yeah, let me know how it goes. Thank you so much. And let's just get back to the episode. Yeah, I think one of the hardest things definitely is trusting God and trusting ourselves when we get that new dream come up. Because there's times when dreams, they don't mesh with each other anymore. You know, you can't really do both. 
you can either hold on to the one that's dead and gone, or you can pretend that it's still there, or you can, you know, fully let go and do the new one. You know, I've recently let go of a gaming YouTube channel that I did for off and on over a decade and oh, around a decade. And it taught me tons, but it kind of got to this point after I got back from my mission trip that it had its days and they were numbered. And once the days were done, I needed to let it go. And it took me a while to let it go. And I started the podcast while still doing the YouTube channel. And I couldn't give all of myself to both. And so there's half on both sides or usually is like 80 podcasts and 20 gaming YouTube channel. And even though the podcast still grew and there's over 200 episodes now, it's only really been in the last month that I feel like I've made a lot of personal, more personal progress with the podcast and seen ahead for it more clarity. And so even though like I feel a lot better about it, you know, anything less than a hundred percent, like, especially like when it comes to these things where God is such an important part of it, it's going to hurt you, you know? And so I completely agree with, with you. A lot of like the vulnerability in, in times where I'd stay up is because I knew that my brain had this part working on the gaming channel and I'm like stressed about homework and school and then getting a podcast episode up and it was just way too much. And sometimes I just struggled with the thought of like, what if I run into somebody on campus tomorrow and they really need somebody to talk to and I'm not there for them, you know? So there's that too. And, you know, I think looking back now, I see like writing all that down would have helped a lot, you know, and getting it out of my head on the, on a paper. And I, I think I did that to a certain degree, but it's easier to just sort of just live with it and be used to it and say, this is my normal when really, no, that's not normal. I mean, you can live that way, but you can also live a lot higher way. I mean, Christ said that I came that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. And, you know, from simply just doing those things that he asked us to do, whether you're religious or not, you'll live a better life. I love how you talked a little bit about getting stuff out of your head. I think most of us live so much in our head and leave so many things up here that stress us out, thoughts, ideas, fears. And there's a magical power. There's actually a creative power to writing things out on paper. It's very common. So when I work with a client, I have homework. And it's very common that I will give homework to write things down. And there's this really amazing transformation that happens when something goes in your head to be on paper. And very quickly, you see it's one of two things. It's either something that was a lie, the devil was whispering in your head, that you can throw away. Or, gosh, maybe that is more important. Maybe I should structure this and spend some time thinking through this to see what's really, really important. Yeah, I agree a lot with that. Just like there's that need for there to be that opposition, you know, for us to learn and grow here, but it's really, really difficult because I know for myself, I'm like, Hey God, I'm here and I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. Now tell me what I need to do, you know? And it's like, well, what do you want to do? You know, it's like, I'm going to help you out. But a lot of times we really just have to get the ball rolling I, I want to give you a little bit of an, uh, some hope for people who are thinking and saying, I don't know how to get the ball rolling. Because I think you're right. I think God is kind of like a good parent who puts a bunch of toys in the floor and says, okay, kids, play whatever you want. And as kids, we think they're like, oh, I don't know. There's a lot of toys here. Which which toy should I pick up? And so this is where I want to give you some hope. The, through psychology, we have a number of really, really powerful tools. There's a lot of temperament tests that are coming out, some really good ones. I recommend Big Five or DISC. Um, Jordan Peterson has an awesome Big Five test for 10 bucks, And you will learn so much about yourself from that. 
Um, do not do Myers-Briggs. That one's bad. If you ever really want to know more, I've got episodes about that, but totally bad. Um, there's different levels though of who you are that God made. There's many people have heard of Gallup Strengths Finders. That's awesome. Another really powerful one is the Colby Index. Take the type A if you're just doing it for yourself. And these different studies, all of these tests, when you get the results, will include videos and explanations about what your particular skill set and giftedness means you'll be good at in life. And so I really encourage people, and if nothing else, start by learning who is this person that God made here? Like, who am I? What is what's in here? What am I good at? What am I bad at? What lights me up? What turns me off? Like, what 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 would I have joy about getting up in the morning and fighting all the dragons to go try to find as a treasure pile? And that can be a really helpful way to start. Yeah, I completely agree. Tuning into those different sources that show that they know us better than we know ourselves, or at least give us some kind of insight. For me, Michael, when I read certain books, like self-development books or even fiction books sometimes, it helps me recognize, oh, I'm kind of like this character or, oh, you know, this reminds me of this part of my life. And all of that self-discovery sounds like sometimes it's a slow process but really, I imagine God just being like, you know, like the whole time. Like, And when we open up the scriptures, too, and that kind of thing, it's like this is a monumental step. And it's huge because he's with us, you know, wants to help us out every step of the way. And so, you know, getting to know ourselves better. I mean, it really is everything. really is everything. It is. A lot of my struggles over the last you know, almost years been that like my podcaster, my gaming content creator. And the answer was I'm me. Right. And I need to let go of the things that are taking me away from me. This is why that identity has to precede the mission right there. If you don't have the identity, you cannot succeed at a mission. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of it, looking back, I see much more clearly like different parts of me would be attached to certain things. And so I would go away. And then there's this other part of me. It's like, wait, what's going on here? You know, it's almost like a marriage with like different parts of myself. Honestly, that's how I've imagined it is like, Hey, where is he going? I want to talk to him and know he's going and doing his thing and trying to do something else. And it's like, well, there needs to be some kind of, like you said, what we've talked about. It's hard to have conversations with yourself sometimes because you have other responsibilities and it's easy to put that on the back burner. But yeah, no, absolutely. Once we understand better who we are, I mean, Christ understood a hundred percent who he was and that made him helped him, you know, with what he, what he did to go through everything he did. So. Well, I think one of the biggest things people get out of the personality tests is a very clear understanding of the good and the bad, both in proportion of what God made in all these different dimensions. And I, I quickly threw out like four tests, but the reality is each of those has at least four, if not more dimensions to it. But in every single one, there's positives and negatives. There's good and weak, the strengths and weaknesses that come with those. And understanding the balance is critical to finding that compassion I talked about earlier for yourself. If you want to find compassion for yourself, you've got to know what's going on in there. And if I took somebody who, I don't know, let's say was particularly short and said they really, really struggle with slamming a basketball. Like, well, yeah, of course they do. They're very short. There's compassion that automatically comes there. But in a temperamental space, and I say this not judgmentally, this is just this is what you want to call it, the science of how personality works or the balance of what God creates in the world, all kind of the same stuff. In a temperamental space, there are some things that I am better at and some things I'm worst at. I would be a horrible kindergarten teacher 
let's just call it a spade a spade. Like my temperament and being a kindergarten teacher, I don't know. Like they'd have to send me to jail. Like it would just be so bad. But other people will thrive there, but struggle with things that are really easy for me to do. And understanding that creates the possibility for compassion that maybe it's okay that I'm not a good kindergarten teacher. Maybe it's not just because I'm a bad person, but because that's the way God designed me. And that's a really key piece. That's super powerful. Yeah, I just we talked a lot about alignment and just understanding our feelings and just kind of more or less trusting God with our ambitions and, and moving forward with that. So definitely appreciate having you on, Michael. What? Uh, how can we get in touch with you and learn more about your coaching and what you do? Absolutely. So the easy way to find me is I've got both a website and a podcast. And just to put it out there, I'm Roman Catholic. I work with anyone who's Christian, but I proclaim my faith proudly because it's part of who I am. And so you can find me at Catholic Life Coach for Men. Throw the dot com. You got my website. So just no dot com, put a podcast. You find my podcast, Catholic Life Coach for Men. Great way to get a hold of me. I'm happy to work with anyone. If you're not Christian, but you feel like I'm speaking to you in a very powerful way, sign up for a free call. We'll talk about it. But what I offer is is both a group engagement. And then beyond that, I even do an accelerated one-on-one engagement to help people find some really powerful change in their life. That's wonderful. Yeah. I really admire what you're doing, Michael. It just gives me a, it's just a breath of fresh air, you know, to see people working so hard at something they're passionate about and helping out the next generation, you know, helping out the future. So yeah, definitely guys check that out and I'll have links to that in the show notes and definitely gonna, I really like your style. So I'm gonna have to listen to some episodes of your podcast, but yeah, just thank you so much for coming on, Michael. Do you have any last thoughts for the person listening? Yeah, absolutely. I think the number one most paralyzing thought that I encounter is people who think they're alone, who think that they're the, they're the only ones struggling with this, that everyone else has their life put together, that nobody else has this problem or this doubt or this fear or this insecurity, and they get stuck in the trap that's purely demonic, which says, it's just you, you're the problem, you just have to hide it because nobody else could ever love someone who has this problem. And my invitation to you is to realize you're not alone. All of us struggle in my group coaching programs. The most powerful moments are after someone shares something and they suddenly get a little bit self-conscious. I'll invite for some other people to just turn their microphones on. And without exception, they'll say, oh my gosh, you could have described me to a T. Or I thought I was the only one who felt that way. And that is a very, very powerful sense of release that you are normal and that healing is still possible. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I've been jumping on the phone calls a lot with different friends and stuff lately. And it's really helped me see like a lot of the reason why God made, you know, help them become my friends is we are going through very similar things. We are able to lift each other up. And so, yeah, we definitely are not ever alone. You know, there's people going through similar things and there's people that are going to go through things you're going through right now. And so from turning to people, and turning to God and, you know, those things that will help you a lot when you are having that rough time, because then you can move forward and learn from it all the more. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Michael, and just wish you the best. Keep up the good work, brother. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope that someone listening has found some hope to go out and try to try to make something with their life and find that meaning because there's nothing else worth doing in life with that. I believe it. Thank you. Thank you. So that was my interview with Michael Jaquith. We went pretty deep. It was good to talk with him. And I really loved how we talked about dreams and how it's really important to have a dream, how that can help you to see with like new perspective, right? Because our eyes can always like change. There's that scripture that says like we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so I'm really about that. Like let's tune into content that actually is like helping us get to a better spot. 
Michael has a lot of really good thoughts. We definitely could have talked more. I'll have him back on again. And uh, yeah, it was it was a good conversation. Going to have another episode coming out, the last one of the cross country episodes. So that will be that will be good. If you hear any background noise, that is my wonderful family. We are getting out of here soon, moving on to Florida, which is awesome. But for now, a couple more days here. So thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to heal today and it'll be a better tomorrow.